This film is a perfect example of why I never take boxes when anyone tries to hand it to me. I'm here with the director and screenwriter of the upcoming film Bishop's Cove. He is Charles D. Lincoln, and this Slasher Sports Cinema. And I'm here to kill you. I am Dracula. Shed innocent blood. What's blood for? If not for shame. Six year old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face. The blackest eyes. The devil's eyes. I said, girls, did you know I'm utterly insane? Charles. Hey, how's it going? It is going famously. How are you doing, my man? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I actually was, uh, I love your, I love the intro. I was, you know, like just the little quotes you have on there. I was like speaking along with Patrick Bateman and uh, Dr. Loomis. You know, love the dissect girls. That's um, don't I'm, we all? Yeah, don't you know I'm totally insane? And yeah, like uh, I love. I you love know, the, psycho. Yeah, I'll, 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 I just love to splice my you know a random fave lines. Mm -hmm. I guess um, mm -hmm. maybe differently than the, the previous intro. That intro music is done by my good friend Jack Fiddler, uh, who, if you've listened to this podcast any number of times. Uh, it's going to be associated with the likes of those trauma fools. Mm. And hopefully those guys are going to chime in sometime tonight. But listen, Charles, did you know that on this day in horror movie history, the likes of Silence of the Lambs, Silent Scream, Bad Girls from Mars, Deep Rising, Final Destination 2, and The Uninvited were released. Oh, cool. Yeah, I, no, say I, that. Did, I did not know that. No, you didn't know. But the, there's a reason I bring that up, because I kind of liked what you said a few days back. Mm -hmm. um, it was about remaking films. And I don't want to misquote. Oh, no, no. Yeah, yeah. You, uh, you, you said something along the lines of you know, how films being remade today mm -hmm. are the films that really didn't need remaking. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Instead of instead of making films that were great in idea but poor in execution, mm -hmm. you know, do you want to expound on that? Because I don't. Yeah. Want to what I was saying. Her. What I was saying is that basically, you know, I mean, at this point now, as a filmmaker, you know that eventually you're going to be asked to, you know, do a remake of some port. And and if you were to ask me what remakes I would want to do, it's all movies that I don't actually think were great films. Because if you're going to, there's no reason to remake a good, a really, really good movie. There's, you're not going to do it better. You're not going to, you know, and number one, you're going to really, you know, upset the, you know, the, the, the fan base, the original film, the faithful, you know? like for one, you know, because that's, that's who made that, that film big in the first place. And in the, unless it's very rare occasions for the most part, they're going to, you know, they're just going to, um, they're just going to hate what you do. 
Um, and so you're not really you're not really earning any points there. You're not going to make a better film. So why even bother to do it? What you should do is take a movie that had a, a really cool concept that that something could be done with that something, you know, that what didn't have a great execution. And that's, you know, if I was ever going to remake a thing, I said it would be a whole bunch of movies that like, people would be like, why would you want to remake that? That wasn't even a very good movie. But I was like, but the concept, the thought of what to actually, what I could do with that concept and the general, you know, outline of what that movie was. And then I could actually make a good film out of it, you know? So, I, and I, I love that you said that because it's something that's been on my mind. You know, we don't even have to look at the horror genre. We can look at films that were just fun in general. Mm -hmm. Did we need to revisit Bill and Ted? No, we didn't. Yeah. Did we need to revisit Dumb and Dumber? No, we didn't. Uh, what else has been done uh, recently? Um, shit, you know, like we really didn't need a couple of these latest Godzilla flicks as much as I love them. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, if, if we would go in the direction of like Sheen Godzilla mm -hmm. instead of, you know, the, what we have going on here in the States. Yeah. I'd be, a, I would be so happy with that. Sheen Godzilla swallows up anything. And I never thought I'd catch myself saying this. Yeah. It swallows up anything that the American studios have done. One of the things, yeah, I was going to say, one of the things I hate about the American Godzilla films is that it's, I, I'll be honest, I don't go to a Godzilla film to see the, the human characters. I don't care about them. The last thing in the world I want is Godzilla fighting a thing on a TV in the background of a scene with a whole bunch of characters that I don't care about at all. You know, the whole movie's focusing on them and Godzilla, sure, the last like 20, 30 minutes, you get the big battle. But up until then, I don't care. I want to see Godzilla destroy stuff. You know. We have like a big soap opera and it, it is very cool to me that they mm. bring back a few of the characters from the classic show you know, yeah. series like uh, Dr. Sirizawa. Mm -hmm. Cool. We need him. Yeah. I want those little, I want those little twins that uh, follow Mothra around. Everywhere. Oh yeah. I want yeah. those people. I don't want um, the little girl from stranger things. Yeah. I want the dad from super eight. And I, I don't know. I, I eventually, yeah believe they're gonna fit the whole cast of stranger things in there somewhere yeah i mean and that's the thing like i love brian cranston i don't go to see a godzilla movie to see brian cranston you know like no even yeah. though he was great you know and it, he's yeah, he was he's, coming right off the heat of uh breaking bad at the time yeah and he's wonderful but he's not what i'm going to see godzilla i'm going to i'm going to see godzilla because i want to see like you know a city get destroyed i want to just see the you know the the roland emmer you know emmer spectacle of just rampant destruction you know and like <laughs> so how often do you believe the remake is actually better than the original um Not to put you on the spot i can only honestly there's only one movie that i think is and everyone will hate me for that actually no there's a couple times there's been there's been some bad movies that had good remakes like i actually i despise the original i spit on your grave i think it's horrible i hate that it movie is so incredibly much and i think the remake actually did it they took the concept and did it in a fairly more tasteful way and was done a lot better and i'm like okay this is not something i would you know choose to watch on a friday night all over and over again but i was like this wasn't a bad movie you know um i also you know yeah. i spit on your grave is like i hate it for the reasons that you know we we're big on trigger warnings yeah in yeah the year of our lord 2023 tongue-in-cheek um but 
I don't hate it for the reasons that, you know, I'm not triggered by anything in the film. Yeah. It's just a terrible, ugly film. Yeah. And it was poorly done, mm-hmm. poorly cast, poorly written. And it was a shock value film. Yeah. And, and that's, that's fine because back then that's what, you know, that's what we were doing. Yeah. It's hard to top, uh, you know, cannibal Holocaust as a shock value film, but they, yeah. you know, they were going to try, but yeah. you know, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, there are not very many, I guess, instances where mm-hmm. the remake is better than the original, but yeah. you know, if we have to point out a few, uh, we're looking at the thing. Uh, oh yeah, we're looking at uh, you know, th- that's the obvious one to me. Yeah, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, The Fly. Oh, The Fly. Things. Okay, thank you. I'm, yeah. I'm glad you said The Fly because I didn't want to have to say it myself. Yeah, but yeah, but you, you're right though, and the, it, it was kind of thought provoking and made me wonder. You know what? What film would Charles D. Lincoln remake if he had his choice? Oh man, well, like right, I mean, right off the top of my head, um, just because I was, I was like, this is an awful movie, but I could do so much with the concept because I'm just generally messed up in the head. I was like, I could do blood, blood sucking freaks. Was the very first one that popped into my head, <laughs> and I was like, if you've seen my stuff, you you kind of see the aesthetic of what I could bring to a film like that, and take that concept and actually make it into something serious, and like not just you know cheesy little Ralphus, you know, throwing darts at people's butts and you know like i uh you know that was one that immediately occurred to me um then there was also then you know like then even like people love to do the uh let's um take a foreign film and make an american version of that um which for the most part i don't feel is necessary um but um i don't know if you it's a japanese series called mpd psycho from uh takashi mike and Mike is, I mean, yeah. already one of my favorite guys, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean, I guess if like if we're talking about aesthetics. Yeah, I, I like your you know thought of bloodsucking freaks. Mm-hmm. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And and that's the thing with, with Mike. One of the reasons why that was a particular property that I would like, I would love to do an American version is because in the canon, something happens and it happened in both America and Japan. And his version only covers Japan. And my whole thought is if I were to do it, I would totally make his version still canon. And it's just, well, let's cover what's happening in America. And yeah, we take some scenes, we take some homages, we take, you know, but it's still kind of reflecting um, what, you know, it's while maintaining complete respect to what he did. It would also be, you know, doing that. But yeah, there's stuff, there's, there's, well, there's a bunch of movies that, um, as I said, I um, I think something could be done with. Um, oh man, uh, God, I'm. I don't know. For some reason, I'm I'm drawing a blank because I keep Deadly Spawn keeps popping in my head, but I love Deadly Spawn, so I'm not well, sure let's, why. Like, let's, let's fantasy cast something now. Let, let's fantasy yeah. cast blood sucking freaks. Who who's uh, who are you casting in that film if you're remaking it today? Oh, well, I mean, that would require me to actually know the characters' names, except for uh, Sadhu and Ralphus. So, um, that's, that's enough for me. Who, yeah, who, yeah. Who's Sabu then? Um, honestly, I think I could do fucking. I'm sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to curse or not. Am I? Am I? 
Come on, of course you can. What? Okay, then fuck it. All right, is, cool. I yeah, mean, fuck it. I forgot to ask. Yeah, if I uh... we're, we're not we're not cleaning shit up around here. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, but yeah, no. I was like, you know, like someone like I mean, that seems like a role that like I was like, oh, I could do so do so well. Like I have that just natural. I don't know. I play a lot of scumbags. I I, I realize that <laughs> not just you don't not, say. Yeah, not just in the stuff that I write and like other people. And it's, in fact, it's really funny. I'm doing a product. I'm doing a, a film in April. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to announce it or not, but um, they offered me two roles. And the first role they gave was like, you know, you're always complaining about how you always do these scumbag characters. So he gave you this really nice. And I read the script and I was like, eh, I mean, I guess I could do that. And then there's just this utter piece of shit other character. And I'm like, but I could do that guy in my sleep. And they're like, do you want to be that guy? I'm like, OK, yes, I'll, I'll play that character instead. Because I don't know. It's just I mean, I, I, I sometimes complain about kind of being awful people over and over again but it's so much more fun it's so much more fun to be the bad guy you know and and just to to bring out that kind of dark side of your of of uh the, of humanity into your roles you know everybody wants to play the heel man yeah everybody oh, yeah. wants to play the heel we're, we're, you know just just look at it or in, in the world of help professional wrestling somewhere mm -hmm. along the way we all started cheering for stone cold steve austin did we not yeah yeah we weren't, well, we weren't supposed to well that was the thing as a little kid i was such a fan of heels like i was i was the one little kid who would like hated hulk hogan and like i loved roddy piper and i was just all in on on heel characters like my entire time and there's a whole bunch of people who i think are really annoying when their faces but i love when they're heels like jericho edge people like that i'm like when they the New Day, I am so incredibly sick of them, and I hate them so much. But when they were heels, I loved them. They were just amazing as heels. You know, you brought up Jericho, and mm -hmm. Jericho was probably... I was not a, a kid who cheered on the heels. Mm -hmm. Was not. Now mm -hmm. I'm thinking like, you know, the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. Mid-90s comes around, and I'm definitely doing that. And I think the first one mm -hmm. might have been Jericho in yeah. WCW. Yeah, when, oh, he, man, when he was purposely getting, getting yeah. yeah, yeah, and he was purposely getting people's names wrong. Yeah, and he it, where Dean Malenko was the man of a thousand holds. Yes, Jericho said he went home and he oh, learned yeah. four <laughs> more holds, so he is now the the man of a thousand and four holds. Yes. By the and, way, by the way, Ralph is named after the character in Blood Sucking Freaks. By the way, that is a fact. Yeah. That is a. Yeah. There's a lot of homages you're going to get out of Chris Jericho. Yeah. There was uh like when he couldn't find his way to the ring. That's a direct rip off from Spinal. Tap. This is Spinal yeah. Tap. Fantastic. I mean, he's a rocker. He's a horror guy. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's the he is our type of professional wrestler. Yeah. No matter no matter which way you cut it. Yeah. But you know, um, thinking about that, you you have a pretty interesting background yourself. Oh yeah, yeah. I okay. mean, I. And, uh, I, my father was uh, F.J. Lincoln, Fred Lincoln, uh, who was uh, in the horror community known for being Weasel in Last House on the Left, uh, yes. Wes Craven's very first film. And then uh, he got that role. You know, a lot of people are like, why do you do with mother horror stuff? And, you know, everyone loved Last House on the Left um, in the horror community. And uh, he got a ton of offers for, like, all these different roles. But, of course, my dad was in his, like, well, I've already done my horror role now. It's time for me to be Al Pacino. And none of those roles came. Um, but speaking of came, he uh, was then had the guy. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Segway King. But um, so, he, uh, mm. so he, had a guy, he said someone came up to him and was like, hey, do you want to get paid to fuck? And he's like, 
I do. And so he went into the porn industry uh, and became a legend of the porn industry uh, for about 30, 40 years. Uh, even got an AVN award uh, for that. And I grew up with my uh, porn director father who had met my mother at Plato's Retreat, which was a swingers club. And so that was my uh, upbringing. And then, uh, yeah, I, I grew up in, uh, in Hell's Kitchen for the first four years of my life. Um, so I'm like one of the old school, you know, when New York was taxi driver, like that was, sure. you know, me as a little kid. And uh, it's very funny, like people talk about that time. It's such a scary, scary time. And for me, it was just, you know, my world, like, you know, my dad, you know, I mean, because Times Square was the center of all like, uh, you know, in, the dens of inequity at the time. So my dad was like known by all like the pimps and the hookers and the gang members and everything and all these people that everyone would think were frightening. You know, my dad would be walking down the street, they'd be like, yo, Freddie, what's up? And, you know, going to me like, hey, little man, give me some skin. And, you know, so I'd be like slapping hands with like, you know, people who would, you know, most tourists would be afraid they get stabbed by, um, you know, as a little kid. And then like later on, you know, it was very funny um, uh, when I when I was uh, when I became an adult and I started like going to fetish clubs and I went I went to one that's no longer there called Hellfire. And I used to be able to get in for free because the Hells Angels were security. And my dad used to get them, you know, used to fix them up with girls and stuff. So, you know, sure. yeah. So it was uh, it's kind of neat, like all those, you know, the fact that I like like bikers and porn and all this, like I had that very non-traditional, you know, world. And then at a certain point, um, I was, uh, you know, I, I went and lived with my grandmother in Long Island. So that was a very religious household and very weird. And uh, for me, it was it was like, oh, I hate I hate quiet and I hate all this, you know, like sound of crickets annoy me. And, and I, I need like, you know, cars beeping horns and, and police sirens and all that. Like that was, you know, for me, like my lullaby, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I grew up with, with my dad in porn and, uh, but my dad also was very, um, he had a love of cinema and it was very important to him, uh, that I did too. Like when I was a little kid, he would, uh, make me, uh, you know, and he used to make me, but I, I never minded it. And I do it now. He used to make me like stay during the credits because he wanted me to know that everyone in the film were, you know, that you don't see were just as important as the people that you do see on the screen. And he used to get me all like the old Starlog magazines that showed how like they did all the practical effects and everything. Um, yes. So, you know, he, he did just, it was, it was a very, it was a weird upbringing, but I mean, you know, um, and you know, I said, I, I spent a lot of my time as like good deal of my life. I was like, you know, a musician, like metal and punk bands and living crazy lifestyle myself and, you know, doing all the rock star stories that, you know what, even if you're in a, like a little local band, that shit still happens, you know? And like, as long as it's, you know, in a local band in New York, it still happens, you know? And uh, it was, and then when he passed away, um, I had been kind of, uh, I became deaf in one ear because of a condition I have and uh, not to music. That's the crazy thing. All this loud music didn't do anything. If I had never gone into music, I still would have gone deaf. I was going to um, ask. Yeah. And so, that's when it was like, you know, my dad always kind of wanted me to go into film. And so at the same, at, around that time, I was asked to be in a music video, um, which, you know, normally I'd done one for my own band, but I, you know, this, I'm just like one of the people in the background or whatever. And I was like, that was a lot of fun. I should be getting paid to do that. And I started going into acting from there. And, uh, you know, and I took Lincoln as my last name, you know, my stage name, uh, kind of my little tribute to him. 
Sure. You know, because sure, he was, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, my dad was, you know, he was very, very uh, responsible for a lot of, uh, you know, my uh, my love of film and just how much, like, I respect the medium and uh, just, you know, and, 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 you know, and it's, and as I said, it's, uh, he, he was a, you know, a, he was a, he was a, a character, you know, like for all the weird shit I've done, there's so many times where I, I feel boring because I've never like, you know, like some of the stories he told that I'm not sure if I could tell like <laughs> for legal sakes. But I was going to um, say, yeah, don't, yeah. don't, get, don't get the fuzz on. on yeah, me. exactly. Exactly. So I'm like, but some of the stories he told, I was like, wow, I've never, I've never even done that. And it's, you know, um, it was a, you know, it was a crazy life. Like he was, he was married time or something like that. And it was just, you know, I remember one point I was 25 and he was dating a 23 year old and I was just like, and I hate her. <laughs> um, and just, you know, I mean, I'm sure my dad was sleeping with her cause she was hot, but she was stupid. And like, you know, I just the way we like him. Yeah, <laughs> just the way we like. I, I like I like smart women. I like I like women who are like smart and like fierce and you know. But, yeah, because I make stupid yeah. decisions. I don't need two of us doing. Yeah, that. yeah. I, I kind of I kind of like someone who can you know um, who who has a brain on who has a brain you know because I remember I you know I've met girls who like were super hot who turned me off because they were just dumb and like it, I think the, it happens every day, man. Yeah, yeah every when, day. Yeah, like you know, I mean, of course not when drunk, because when you're drunk, you don't care how dumb anyone is. But no, no, of course you're not. Sober, yeah. When you're sober, oh my god, like it's the biggest turnoff in the world is for a girl to be stupid. And and I guess you know when you're that hammered, like every girl seems like oh. I don't know, uh, <laughs> just a genius. You know? Yeah, and yeah. Well, that was they can, that was... They can all parallel park and. No, well, that was that was they to me, all that was, underreact. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's, to me, that was one of the funniest things when I lost my hearing. Um, because it was a, it's a condition called Meniere's disease, and um, I remember having a beer and my good ear started ringing, and I'm like, oh shit, I can't drink anymore. So I didn't drink for three years until one night I was looking at a uh, forum for people with Meniere's disease, which I had never ever thought of even looking at for like three years, and I was like, let me see what other people with my condition have to say about stuff. And it was like, oh, I can actually drink hard liquor. It's just the malts and beer that make my ears bad. And so I'm like, oh, okay. And immediately when I like, got drunk that night and was <laughs> calling up my guitar player like at like three in the morning, guess what I'm doing? <laughs> like, How long ago was that? Oh, man, that was about uh, 10 years ago, about 10 years ago. Because I've been, uh, ago, actually, so no, yeah, it was, it was uh, 12 years because I've been in film for 10 years now. So about 2010, uh, yeah. you know, we, we've got Google. Maybe we haven't perfected Google. Yeah. We're, we're still learning about ourselves, especially at this age. Yeah. And you kind of just assume that, well, all of my afflictions, I might as well just live with them and never mm -hmm. look into them. Yeah. Well, that was the whole thing is like, I was just like, you know, I mean, um, it's not like I, I absolutely needed to be drunk all the time. Like, you know, I mostly just drank as a, you know, like after shows or at clubs or whatever. Um, so, you know, I mean, cause I know, like, I know how addictive that can be if you start, you know, like, I, like I will never drink by myself. That's like one of the rules that I have. I will never be by my, cause to me, that's like, that's the, that's when you know you're becoming an alcoholic when you're like, I'm just sure. going to have myself a whiskey when there's no one else in the room. And for and breakfast. Just, yeah, right. exactly. Oh my God. When I lived in London, um, I was pretty much buzzed every single day there because like they'd start having beer at like nine in the morning over there. 
And uh, I remember. Well, that that's you know, because you were on, uh, you know, USA times. So yeah. Well, like the girl that I was, uh, the girl that I was staying with over there, you know, the first morning I'm there, she like offers me a beer and I'm like, it's 9 a.m. And she's like, so <laughs> she's so like, here's some eggs with it. Yeah. She's like, it's a morning beer. I'm like, uh, you know, where I come from, you start drinking this early kind of means you're an alcoholic. And she's it like, means you here, go to just, meetings. Yeah. Over here. She's like, she's like, over here, we just call it being English. I'm like, all right, <laughs> I guess I'll. Start. So they, they, she, she pretty much like tough talked you into it, like almost shamed yeah. you. It's like you fucking American. You just, yeah. just drink your beer. <laughs> I, you know, hey, I was, I was, uh, you know, it wasn't like she had to like twist my arm about it, but I was like, all right, fine, I'll drink it, whatever. She started making a whole lot of sense, didn't she? Yes, yes, and you know, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, who am I to turn down free beers and, and uh, yeah, you know, as especially as a guest in their country. I, uh, when in Rome, yes. do as the Romans do, sir. Yes, yes. So that means I ride a Vespa and pinch a lot of asses then, because that's what the that, Romans tend to do. Wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. Wouldn't have it any other way. But, you know, hey, listen, you, your your pops gave you the philosophy, mm -hmm. but what did you get technically from your, I, I guess I want to call it your pedigree. Mm -hmm. uh, what did you get that you could actually quantify with technique like what what makes the the lincoln bloodline noticeable in film what, what are you what are you doing well um you know like it's hard to talk about his stuff because his stuff was porn and i didn't really check most of his stuff out but with me i guess i mean yeah. x's and o's like what yeah. are you doing technically that, uh, that maybe you learned well i think one of well one of the things that he always was very uh that he also emphasized to uh, me when, because uh, that's the thing, I never directed anything when he was alive. And when okay. I, when I was in, when I was in college for film, I would, I will never mention what college I went to because I think they did such a shitty job. Um, it killed my love of cinema for a while. I was just like, I, I, I don't belong in this industry. I'll just focus on music, you know? Um, sure. cause it was just so discouraging, like the way that we were working and, and just some of the professors I had and, uh, you know, like I learned more watching the, watching making of featurettes on DVDs than I feel I did in like the two years I went before I eventually like dropped out of college. Like I feel I learned so much and, and you know what the best film school in the world is, is working on a set best watching what other people do. Like, I don't care if you're an extra, I don't care if you're a PA, whatever, watch what people are doing. Pay attention to what the crew are doing. Pay attention to what the director is doing. Pay attention to the AD, all these people, and kind of just see what the the ecosystem of a set is. You know, like, I, I it's one of the things that, like, I feel that, like, you know, everyone should try to do something uh, where they, you know, are behind the camera just so they can learn what things do like you know learn what the grips do learn what the gaffers do learn you know the difference between you know between grips and gaffers you know and and between um you know what what the director of photography does as to what you know, different cameras do and what the lens what the different lenses are like just all of those things like i feel are it's so important to know these things so that you can see how, you know, the sausage is made like really. And it's, it's in one way, it, it, in one way it was bad for me because I've never been scared by a movie because I know since I was a little kid, how they work, even though I, I've loved horror. Like as a little kid, one of my favorite movies was the omen. 
and uh, you know when you you know when like you're a little kid and you have that like song that gives you like nostalgic feelings and and yes. you, know, you think of being a child and for me it's Ave Satani <laughs> because I used to watch that because movie. why not yeah I used to watch that movie so much and be like upset that like my babysitter never tried to hang herself and be like it's all for you Charles you know so it's like <laughs> I'm, you know like I I uh, but yeah I loved that I first movie I ever saw was Alien. Um, and I just got this such appreciation, Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist and all those sort of movies. Those were like the movies of my childhood. And sure, there was Star Wars and Indiana Jones and all that sort of stuff. But there was mostly it was horror stuff. I saw way more horror than I ever did, like cartoons or Disney films or anything like that as a child. At what and, age did you see Alien? Uh, well, I mean, if you really want to get technical, I saw Alien in the theater when I was a like a baby and my parents were being irresponsible by bringing probably a crying kid into this group into the theater, but or responsible. Yeah. Or responsible. Yeah. First, the first time I remember seeing alien, I was probably five or six. Okay. Around the time that I saw Friday, the 13th part two. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, I, I recently spoke to Karen lamb and mm -hmm. if you're not familiar with Karen lamb, she's a Canadian gal. Mm -hmm. She just directed the newest installment of the bring it on series. Yes. Oh, the cheerleading oh, yeah. flick. The, the, the slasher one. Yeah. Yeah. The slasher one cheer or die is what that one was called. Yeah. And she told me a story about how her father took her to see her first horror flick and it was jaws. Mm. And, you know, she asked, well, why did you take me to see jaws? And he said, well, because I knew you liked fish. <laughs> True story, and but there's always a reason, always a reason, and there's always something you take from it. Mm -hmm. We might not see maybe the um, you know, the allegories, yeah, you know, and maybe we watched Rosemary's Baby and we just thought there was a fucked up kid in, yeah. the, in the cradle, yeah. you know, we didn't yeah. see the we didn't read between the lines, we, we saw the people under the stairs, we didn't think about classism, right? We, yeah, we just see there, there's spooky guys in the in the in the basement. Well, yeah, well, but yeah, just, you know, going back to, you know, your childhood, mm -hmm. I mean, the, the, it really drew a map here mm -hmm. to what we have today. And speaking of, you know, the textbook that you're reading while you are on set, let's talk about, I believe it is your first directorial. Set. Yes. Uh, yes. Bishop's Teresa and Allison. Uh, Teresa and Allison was directed by Jeremiah Kipp. I wrote it. and I'm, I'm sorry. The, the first one that you wrote. I'm sorry. Yes. Yes. That was the first okay. one I wrote. Okay. Yes. Yeah. First feature anyway. Yes. So you, you wrote this thing and it was released in 2019. Mm -hmm. It's a, a modern vampire tale. Mm -hmm. uh, it explores a side of vampirism that, you know, we don't often see in film. And that's, you know, the, the recently turned and who hasn't learned to navigate you know, the vampire world just yet. They're, they're still walking like that new newborn fawn. Mm -hmm. just stumbling around the vampire world. Again, directed by Jeremiah Kipp, um, who I've recently met online, I believe. And, um, you know, did you have some kind of input on the directorial, I guess, the direction of the film since you wrote it? Like, I, I guess there's always a fear for me writing that mm -hmm. someone's going to take my writing and they're going to distort it into something that I don't necessarily want. Yeah. I was a, uh, I was AD on that set. So I was Excellent. there to make sure that, you know, that number one, Jeremiah and I, um, we talked about a, a bunch of things beforehand. Um, obviously I let, you know, um, as even as producer, I still 
deferred to him as director. Sure. Um, but, you know, if, if there was something that I absolutely felt the movie needed, I would be like, hey, we need to shoot this thing here, you know. Um, yeah. But for the most part, it was his show. You know, um, a lot of the a lot of the uh, the edit was more me. Um, even and you know, in fairness, I'll, I'll I'll say I would probably if I was editing it now, I would probably make it about ten minutes shorter in the beginning. Um, just because there's a there's like a, there's a montage that I look at and I'm like I probably could stand to cut that montage now. Um, okay. But otherwise, yeah, it was uh, my first uh, experience, uh, you know, with uh, with the feature. Um, I had run into Jeremiah, and he was an extra on a a. Um... Oh. Hello. Hello. Hold on one second. It's Jeremiah. Uh, hold on one second. Yeah, no. Uh, sorry, there was someone calling on the. On hey, listen. The if if you need to take it, you know. Oh I, no, I, it's I can, not even for I me. Can, it was not for oh, me. I can bullshit my way through this thing. I've been yeah, doing no, it for, for, me. for years now. Me. It knocked me off there, and it's something that she's gonna she's gonna be very annoyed when she finds out that person called and is bothering. Oh man, yeah, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's there's gonna be hell to pay. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell her when when I'm done with the interview, and she'll be like, "God damn it!" Yeah, but, they haven't heard yeah. the last of me. Yeah, all, but yeah, all like I gotta um, say about it. But yeah, no. Um, it was uh, it was an, he uh, was an extra on um, was it Jennifer uh, Valdez? Jennifer Valdez uh, directed a, a short I wrote, and uh, we were looking for corpses. And uh, she knew Jeremiah, and Jeremiah was like, "Oh, I've never been a corpse before. It sounds like it'll be easy." And he was not, and he was there, and he was just like, "Wow, you have a really deranged imagination. We should work on something." And that's uh, a couple a couple months later. I was uh, meeting with an old friend of my father's because um, I was thinking of you know going of of that's when I was starting to look into going into film, mm -hmm. and uh, he had you know, and, and as far as like I'd already been doing stuff, but as far as making my own stuff, and. Uh, so he um, said to me, he's like, have you ever thought of doing like a lesbian vampire film? And my immediate first thought, because at the time it was Haven't like, we all, yeah, it was, well, the funniest thought part was at the time, it's like when Twilight and all that were all, you know, big. And so oh, okay. my first, my first thought was, why the fuck would I want to do that? And then, and then that night it started going in my head, but it's like, you used to love vampire films before they became this formulaic little pg-13 like bloodless you know sparkly fucks yeah yeah teenage romance bullshit and it's like why don't you make a vampire film that speaks to you something like the stuff that you like like near dark and you know like that was the big like near dark and the hunger those were the two big influences on that one excuse me on that one with me um and what I what I love about it, and it's one thing that Jeremiah always said about the movie is that he says it's less a vampire film and more Alice, more maniac meets Alice in Wonderland, and I've always loved that. I can dig that. Yeah, because it, 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 yeah, and, and this film is uh, it, it, it can't, can't, I don't know what the word is. What was the yeah. adverb? Canonistically, yeah, canonically, 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 part of. There you go. Yes. Part of the same universe as another work of yours. Mm -hmm. Correct. Tell me yeah. about that. Yes. Well, 21st century demon hunter. Um, most so actually everything I've done so far is all in the same uh, universe. Um, uh, Bush, even Bishop, even oh, the subject of what we're talking about right today. Yes. 21st century totally. demon hunter um, is because uh, Tony from uh, Teresa and Allison, uh, my character, I have a, 
and ep- I have an episode where I show up and uh, 21st Century Demon Hunter. Um, just because, yeah, just because one of the things that's great with a uh, 21st Century Demon Hunter, it was a uh, a novel I wrote, and uh, Chelsea, my now uh, business partner, who um, helped me uh, co-produce uh, Teresa and Allison and, and Demon Hunter, and she also stars in Demon Hunter and is the antagonist in Bishop's Cove, the demonic antagonist. Yes. Um, she had auditioned for something that actually she didn't get, but the way she put down her chair in the audition made me think of this character in the novel that I was writing. And so I was like, oh, let me ask her if she wants to maybe model for the cover of the novel. And so we had a meeting at Barnes and Noble. We were all talking and everything. And she's like, and I let her read the, an early version of the novel. And she's like, wow, this is really great. Have you ever thought of doing a, a, a web series about this? And I was like, I haven't. But now, the once again, that's the thing with me. You put a tiny idea in my head. Then literally the next day, I emailed her six scripts of like, I of like, episodes that i had thought of like that night and yeah it's it's my like oh it 21st century demon hunter to me is like as as, as another person put it it's uh buffy meets fleabag it's basically this <laughs> um you know it's this like just promiscuous drug using like underachieving person from a long line of demon hunters who her goals in life are getting high drunk and laid but she's also really good at fighting stuff. She just doesn't really want to go through the effort a lot of the time. So it's, uh, and, and it's where I get to, it's, it's, it's a little bit of comedy. It, it has, I mean, it's a lot of comedy in there, but it's, it's where I get to call out a lot of horror tropes and I got to have a little bit of fun with it. And like, you know, like we are Jason like character who keeps showing up and, you know, where she charged people. Uh, she was hired to go to um, camp Amethyst Lake, which was my little, you know, uh, little Friday 13th homage there. And, uh, uh, you know, like I said, it's just, it was really fun to do. And it kind of was what Chelsea and I bonded on is just, we would do it like guerrilla style. We would, you know, because we wanted it to have that low budget, low fi because Julie's kind of this like, you know, gritty punk chick. So we were like, let's not make it all slick and pretty and everything. And let's make it all like dark and gritty. And the newer season of it, which should be coming out around June or so, is more professionally produced because we have her now dealing with like gods and stuff. So it's now in a bigger world. We felt that the production should reflect that. But yeah, the first one, it uh, comes out on DVD and, and Blu-ray in the middle of, uh, of February, I'm told. Um, 21st right around century, the corner. Yeah, yeah. 21st Century Demon Hunter. It's coming out from uh, Burning Bulb uh, uh, Media. And uh, it should be available in uh, same way with Teresa and Allison, you know, at uh, any place uh, like that sells DVDs. It'll be available. And if it isn't there, you can order it like, you know, Virgin, Virgin, I guess that's closed 20 years ago. I don't know why that popped into my head, but, um, did but it you, I don't, I don't know if it did. Did it? Is there Shit. still Virgin megastores? Maybe in England, but I don't know about America. Ah, shit, I don't know. Yeah. Okay, that's that's going to require a future Google search. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'm, I'm going to Google that when I get friend. off. You know, but you know, like um, you know, uh, Walmart and and Barnes and Noble and Amazon and all those places where people get their DVDs, they'll be able to pick it up. Um, and it's uh, 13 episodes. Um, where we, it's just violence and sex and and madness and just you know my favorite episode is probably the one where she just did i don't know how many of them if you saw all of them i sent you the link but like i uh she my favorite episode is the two favorite episodes is the one with the possessed laptop um 
that's one of my favorites where it's just, it's a computer virus, but it's, uh, you know, and then the other one is where she just takes a whole shitload of acid. And then the episode just goes into my David Lynch tribute um, where I just am like, it's, it's my tribute to the third season of Twin Peaks where he just went all weird and surreal with everything. And, and yes, yeah, that, that was my idea for that episode was let's just go as weird as we can with this. And, a lot of us shooting at five in the morning in Prospect Park and just like her, you know, running up and down on one of the actors, uh, one of the uh, actors apartments is where uh, we shot one scene where she's just naked except for a cardboard box running up the stairs with like a, a, <laughs> a Ziploc bag with shit in it. And it's just like this weird, you know, hell, we spent $70 for um, that one particular politician's uh, voice clip on there that uh, for that episode. <laughs> Where I, I was, fucking love that. Yeah, love yeah, that. Yeah, like it was just like this, all this weird, like just all these like stream of consciousness stuff. And it's what I love about writing Julie is that her stuff, as as much of the cosmic horror as we're now putting into it, it's still just stream of consciousness. And like you know, whatever ideas pop into my head tend to go in there because she's a very random character. But she's also, and Chelsea plays her brilliantly. Chelsea just has this like manic insane energy to her and julie is and what i love is that julie is not necessarily the nicest person in the world either and chelsea is able to ride that like little thing where people don't hate her but they're like well she's really not a nice person actually and you know and and she's kind of an anti-hero and i and I, I love that and um julie is just so much fun to write i'm writing the second novel and i can't wait for people to read that that one I go insane with it. And I'm, I'm once again, really into the cosmic horror stuff, um, you know, and it's going to be just, just this, just madness. And, and I love that. And uh, then, like I said, we have the other season coming in like May or June um, where we're going to. Of this year. Yeah. Yeah. This year. Yeah. We, Cause that's the thing. Like we could have put it out at the same time, but then it's like, they cannibalize each other's sales and like all the, marketing people talk to me about all yeah. this sort of thing and it's like okay well i guess we have to stagger it then and you know that's 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 their jobs i'm not like a you know I, i'm an idiot i'm an idiot at math so i don't know any of that sure sure I well i mean it, it's it's sound logic to me it's sound yeah. logic to me yeah so, so let me bring up the i i guess the i don't want to call anything the main event here mm -hmm. but like we definitely have to talk take some time to talk about bishop's oh, yeah. code oh yeah yeah definitely okay and yeah, uh, the, the, the thing, uh, uh, it, it stars Ariel Hope. No, and... no, no, that was uh, Teresa Allison. Teresa Allison stars Ariel. I'm, Hope. I'm sorry, um, Emily McKinley Hill. Thank you. Yes, but also, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fuck up this last name, mm -hmm. and I hope she never hears about it because it is so important to me to nail Nana? names. Nana Guvea. No, no, oh. I, I, I can, I can nail that one. Okay, Sarah Shopes. Shofs, fuck. Yeah. See, I'm glad you did it, not me. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a fan of Sarah. Mm -hmm. Okay, big fan of Sarah. Yeah. And you know, like this, this, this is a very good cast, man. Mm -hmm. Thank you. It's a Thank very you. good cast. Yeah. And you know, I, I think both are great. Um, mm -hmm. you play a big part in it, but uh, you know, Sarah Shofs is you know in this film. I, I would, I'd consider the reason we're here today and that is bishop's cove okay mm -hmm. per the indiegogo page for bishop's cove you've finished the principal steps yes to make yes. you know this this film a finished product mm -hmm. okay I and mean, you've kindly allowed me to screen the film mm -hmm. 
and you know I'm, I'm excited for you to get this thing out there Thank to you. the masses so i, I guess real quick just, film isn't it <laughs> it's a little bit a little, yeah. little messed up but yeah. like after seeing like this is the last thing i saw though mm-hmm. okay like i saw everything else and then mm-hmm. i went with bishop's cove and and i really did that because i kind of like the log line yeah. a little bit a little bit more maybe mm-hmm. this maybe it's just me you know thinking okay i could i could do something with the you know with, with this box this mystery yeah. box yeah. you know what, what what's in this you know besides ashes a little mm-hmm. bit of fuckery maybe <laughs> probably but tell the listeners real quick you know what what's uh what's bishop's cove all about well bishop's cove is the story of a woman named heather uh played by emily mckinley hill and uh one day she does she's uh She's living a pretty good life. She's actually dating a woman named Kristen, who's played by Sarah Shoves. And uh, one day she's uh, visited by a man named Mr. Lawrence, played by uh, Wayne J. Miller. And he tells her that her long ago, like we're talking 20 years ago, like when she was a homeless punk kid, her girlfriend from that time, a a girl named Catalonia, has passed away, um, played by Anna Paulette. And that... um, you know, she had no one in her life. And so here are her ashes. Deliver these, please, to her parents. And it's, you know, obviously you, she has the same questions most of us well, us would. It's like, it's been 20 years. Why would why would anyone ask me to do this? You know, that makes no sense. I mean, but, you know, you find out that Kat had a very sad life after they broke up. And so, you know, she's kind of feels like it's the right thing to do, to go to this remote town in upstate New York and deliver the ashes to her parents, played by uh, Nana Govea, um, Robert Asenio, and um, Asensio, sorry, and uh, her sister, also played by Anna Paulette. And when they get there, the fact that, number one, her sister looks exactly like her from 20 years ago is one thing. And then there's kind of, there's something little suspicious about the family. And then she starts having nightmares. She starts having these nightmares where she's like naked in this like hellscape where there's this demon played by Ch- my, my business partner, Chelsea LeSage, uh, the nameless, who I think she is just terrifying in this movie. Like just once again, like I I, I love working with Chelsea so incredibly much, not just because like we're, we're, you know, so close, but because she is just an amazing actress and an amazing, like I can just come up with stuff and I know that she will just nail it. And, and theater gal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, um, that's so nice. (laughs) So, all right, break it up. Break (laughs) it up guys. I'm Chelsea. But yeah, but yeah. So, I mean, I'm um, in another meeting, but yeah, but, um, but yeah, like it is, um, you know, and that's the thing. It's a whole mystery as to, and you slowly start peeling back the layers of, what happened when they were together and when they were, when they were teenagers and why she feels it's so important for her to go and deliver these ashes. And then also why is she having these nightmares and what is the real reason for her being invited up there? And I wanted to make something that was kind of like a serious, I mean, it's, it's definitely a horror film, but it, it, it goes into drama. I tell you a lot in the first like half of it, and then kind of the horror really comes in. It starts coming slowly into it. And then you suddenly you find yourself in this, you know, world you can't escape at that point. And it's kind of what I really loved about um, just number one, the performance of the actors who were just brave and just everyone did amazingly in that film. Um, I was very, uh, I was also, you know, I'm in two scenes and, 
I was very happy that I had an amazing uh, assistant director so that I could just be an actor in those scenes. Like I didn't direct those scenes. My, my assistant director, Madison Humes, uh, was the one who directed those scenes. And I think she did an amazing job because we wanted, I mean, every character in that film is just raw and there's so much in it. And there's so much like about my own, when I was, when I was in my early twenties and my dad and I weren't getting along and I wasn't really getting along with the rest of my family, I was a homeless punk kid for a while, you know? And so many of the characters in it are based on people I knew or things that happened to people. Um, the guy who, uh, you know, when she first, when she's a home, you know, it's, it's in the first 20 minutes. So I don't feel like I'm spoiling anything, but when we go to a flashback and we see when she was on the street and there's a guy who solicits her and when she says, no, he starts beating her up until she's rescued by cat. And that's how they first meet. Um, that was based on, uh, girls I knew who had been attacked by, you know, there were two different guys in the village that things were happening because of, you know, and, uh, so much of it is, it's a very different time now, but I wanted to kind of capture what it was like if you were in that little like weird community where, you know, and then unfortunately a lot of people in that community did, you know, start, uh, you know, cause it's also a movie about recovery, you know, and, um, a lot of people in that community did start using heroin. Thankfully I never did cause I had an uncle who already did it and that's taught me, I don't, you don't want any of that, but, um, yeah. But I saw, you know, like, um, Kat is loosely based on a friend of mine who, uh, the last time I saw her, she was telling me how happy she was, uh, that she had been clean for six months. And then she was dead of an overdose two days later, you know, cause she, she relapsed that night and, uh, you know, in the bathroom of a club of a, not a, of a bar called Mars bar, uh, that's no longer there now. And, uh, you know, so a lot of that is it's based on the reality of what I've experienced and, and a lot of the people around me. And it's also just a dark, you know, I wanted something that, like I said, kind of, um, uh, what was it? Uh, Emily said this and I love it. Emily said, this movie is what would happen if David Lynch directed Hellraiser. And I was, I was like, Oh my God, I love that thought. That's <laughs> you know? a nice mashup. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's what it is. I mean, it's influenced by, it's influenced by Hellraiser. It's influenced by Silent Hill. It's influenced by, um, by, you know, Lost Highway. It's influenced by Blue Velvet, it, it, you know, and Requiem for a Dream and all those kind of, you know, because that's the thing is horror is in, and it's one of the reasons why I, I have such a love for the genre is because there's so much you can do within the horror genre. There's so many things in the toolbox that you can bring in and and just explore and there is not a subject you can't talk about in horror no, you know no. like if yeah if you were to you know i mean like Teresa and allison is you know it's it's an allegory for you know for um uh class inequality but no one's gonna watch it if i make a fucking movie about class inequality people are like oh yeah you know three fucking film students at nyu would go watch that but you know what you fill it with blood and boobs and you make it, you know, and you make this really dark, you know, sexy story around it. People, you know, people suddenly there's a message. Yeah, exactly. And that's with Teresa and Allison with this. It's basically um, it's a lot clearer what it's about, but it's still uh, it's a very important film to me. It's something that I'm very proud of having done. And we have the uh, Indiegogo campaign going on right now for post-production. Uh, the address for that is uh, igg.me slash at slash Bishop's Cove post. Um, all one word at the end. Um, and uh, we do that because, you know what, this has been a film. Uh, we've had people, uh, you know, that's the thing. It's, it's, you've seen it. It's an extreme film. 
it's a, a messed up film, but it's also a film that takes itself seriously and tries to also be an emotional film. And that's hard to do. It's a very hard dance to do. And a lot of times people who were going to contribute money wanted to change too many things. And they wanted to, you know, to kind of take away things or, or um, soften things. Or, you know, I had people like, well, what, why does she have to be a punk? Can't she just be like a suburban kid? Like, well, no, what the hell? That's just a completely different backstory. Jesus. So, you know, and, and people who are just trying to, to change things. So we, we, we paid a lot, we paid for it. Some of it out of pocket. We had some, uh, we had some horror fans who were very generous to us, who helped us out with uh, production. And we had, um, you know, we had a couple silent investors who were, you know, really cool about not about us not changing anything. And but it's still, you know, like when you try to make an uncompromising horror film, you know, in this day and age, and you're not trying to make like, you know, something for the Mall of America crowd. Um, it's hard to get funding. You know, it, it is, especially if you want to do it right. And, you know, I mean, you saw some of the practical effects we used in this were like really cool, but really expensive, too, you know. Yeah. And uh, it was important to me, too, that we did stuff practically. Um, you know, we have a little, you know, in the, in the post-production, there's a little VFX, you know, sweetening of some stuff, but it's still 99% practical. And that was super important to me because you, you don't want that bad PlayStation 1 graphic thing that happens, you know. Um, speaking of remakes, we were watching, the um, me and uh, Chelsea for our, our, our podcast, Cinematic Autopsy, we're watching the 2002 remake of Carrie and the computer graphics in that ah the o2 version yes yeah yeah the computer not as popularly known yeah yeah when angela think about yeah yeah you think about sissy space you think about chloe moritz you Mm -hmm. don't think about that o2 version yeah very often yeah with um you know angela bettis from may and Catherine isabel from ginger snaps yeah um isabel yeah, and uh, produced by Brian Filler, who did Hannibal and the first season of American Gods, and he's doing the Friday the Thirteenth prequel series now. Yeah, like yeah. talent, talent yeah. wrapped up in that film. Yeah, yeah, and there's some things in there that are really well done, and then there's some things that were like, oh my god, <laughs> no. And the CG was part of it, but even Brian Filler himself says that, you know, they they said the studio didn't want didn't give us enough money for for, you know, uh, effects, and yet the network was like, we need more effects. <laughs> So they were like, well, we don't have money to do it, so it's going to get done cheaply. And even he says it looks cheap. Um, but, you know, so that's why I, I feel it's I feel practical effects are so very important. Um, it's and it's a it's a lost art. It's, you know, and except in horror, like and and maybe like stuff like Chernobyl or whatever. But other other things really go in with like a lot of CG and stuff. And it's kind of sad to see like people not having as much appreciation for that as as they should, because it's worlds that that makeup artists are able to create is just you know i mean the the joyless our character with like the face on the back of her head and the multiple breasts and just like oh my god like that was just so amazing to see that in real life visually stunning yeah i love i love that part of the film yeah very much so yeah and we were we were yeah, we were trying real hard to make sure that we had something that people would visually remember there's a couple sequences that i really I really hope stick with people and I really hope just kind of linger in their heads and give them nightmares. Cause I'm a generally unpleasant person who wants people to have nightmares, but you know, um, but yeah, so because of that, because it is a film that we tried to not compromise on, 
Um, we tried to make something for horror fans, you know, with the help of horror fans. And, um, you know, uh, so we have our, our campaign uh, going on. I think it's going on for another 12 days now, I think. And um, we, you know, we need help with, uh, you know, uh, sound design and color correction and all that sort of stuff. And, and as I said, a little bit of VFX, you know, because sometimes it's like, oh, you can see a microphone in the corner. So let's get rid of that in the shot, you know. Um, that's really, that's the majority of what our VFX is for. It's not, you know, cause the, the practical effects are great. It's mostly like, oh, you can see that little thing there. Let's correct that. Um, sure. Yeah. You know, um, so that people don't think that we're doing, you know, it's so funny. I remember when the Expendables, uh, two or something came out and they, they, they were like all just putting all this CG blood into everything. And, uh, at the time, I remember joking with one of my friends about how funny it would be if they just did CG blood like everywhere. So like characters talk and blood just starts shooting out of their mouths and just like, just just make it the like dead or the dead alive gory. Just with like you know if you're gonna put like you know CG blood in it, just put it everywhere and just make it look like a giant. <laughs> Paint the fucking house red. Yes, exactly, exactly, and have the characters not even noticing that there's like blood coming out of their mouths and the ceiling is dripping blood and there's blood like the fish tanks are all filled with blood in the background in some club and but yeah, there's like, um, they're so drugged up with the killing they don't know where, exactly. where the blood's coming exactly. from. But yeah, so it's um it's a very important film to us and it's a uh, it's also something I think will be very entertaining. It's also and Martyrs is also another influence on it too because I'm very big into that like old you know a lot of like foreign horror um you know like really because they things like the sadness and martyrs and all that where they just go places that a lot of american horror used to be afraid to do which is also one of the reasons why i said we have problems with uh with funding sometimes because people don't want to don't want to pay for you know oh my god you're doing what in your film you know speaking of which mm -hmm. like you know i've played a lot of texas hold'em in my life okay mm -hmm. and one of the hardest decisions to make is to muck your cards when you're you know holding a strong hand mm -hmm. okay you, you you do that when you think the opponent would have a stronger hand you, yeah. you you've already got money in the pot you don't want to take the loss but you know you're maybe your opponent's holding a flush mm -hmm. and you're only holding trips, mm -hmm. but you never get cards. So you think anything I've got is going to win it, right? Yeah. It's not going to cut it though. Trips isn't going to cut it in that situation. So how hard is it to walk away when you've worked on something for such a while? And when you think you've got the funding, the backing, and they start asking you to change things. And I know it, that's something that happened because you had this thing yeah. funded some yeah. time ago. Yeah. Yeah, it is absolutely heartbreaking when that happens. And it, it's because this is something that you put your heart and soul into. And, you know, when someone just kind of, you know, we had to deal with, we had someone who promised us, I think it was like $8,000 in funding. And then just was like, kind of like, you know, uh, oh yeah, it's going through the bank, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, pulling a freaking Paul Heyman and ECW, if you really want to get technical about it. And, uh, you know, and then just turned out to be a big fucking con artist, you know, and it, it really hurt because you know what, like, that would have we wouldn't be having to do this if if not for that sort of thing, you know, because, um, you know, like I said, like this is this is the thing like uh, indie horror, you need it needs to be supported. It needs to be nurtured by uh, it's the one thing if you want to keep seeing films, not just ours, like other films, you know what, like if you want to keep seeing people, you know, independent uh, horror filmmakers able to go and keep creating you know, things where they're not restricted by what studios want to see or having to make things that are toned down or, you know, make things that are, are, 
are, are not true to their own vision. Uh, you know, the horror community, and it's one of the reasons I love the horror community because it's so incredibly supportive. Um, when we when we did cons uh, for Teresa and Allison, it was amazing just getting to meet people and like, you know, like the, you know, fans of stuff. And like when we, when we screened Teresa and Allison and having people ask me about the canon afterwards. And that was like amazing to me where people are like, what happens to this character after the film and blah, blah, blah. And I, and we get requests for a sequel to that all the time. And that makes me so happy to hear, you know, but yeah, it, it hurts when someone uh, basically, you know, pulls the Lucy with the football on you. You know, it, it yes. really it really sucks. Um, and, you know, but you've done a good thing here because, you know, story, speaking of story here, mm -hmm. you know, you, you established the rules of the story mm -hmm. uh, early on. And I think you do a very good job of that. And Thank this you. is just me speaking from a guy who screened it a few nights ago. And, you know, he's talking out of his ass right now. But you establish the rules of the story because, you know, as an addict, we know there's an exploitable weakness mm -hmm. in, uh, I believe your name is Heather's armor. Yes. yes. And, you know, revisiting the past for so many people can open old wounds. Yeah. You know, and, and maybe Heather's a little more likely to lower guard, just like when someone who gets out of, you know, prison, you know, might fall back into a, a life of crime. Unless they, you know, they completely avoid their old running buddies. Yeah. Right. It remains to be seen what happens with Heather in the film. But I guess we should really talk about who she meets along the way. Okay. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about the cast yeah. of, of Bishop's Cove. Love to let's start yeah. off. You know, let's start off with Emily McKinley Hill. Yeah. Okay. Th this is a, I guess a return of sorts to film for Heather McKinley Hill. Uh, like last thing she did that I knew of mm -hmm. was uh, Delaware Shore. Back uh -huh. in 2018, 2017, mm -hmm. something like that. Uh, Pre-COVID, I know that much. Yeah. Um, but how did the casting of Emily happen and what sealed the deal? What'd you like about her? Uh, well, Emily has actually been in everything I've ever directed. Like the very first short film that I ever directed, which I think is shit and no one will ever see it. But Emily was in it. Um, and uh, Emily had a part in Demon Hunter. Emily has been like, em you know, everything I've, I've ever directed because Emily's just a joy to work with. She's brave and she's fun and she's witty and she will she will go there. She will just, you know, um, just go to the darkest, darkest places. And she actually she she did do a film after that. She but um, it hasn't been released because it's um, a film called uh, I think it's called Back Road, um, where it's uh, this it's this soup, so extreme horror film that no festivals even want to show it. So that's why, you know, um, and her and Sarah Schoefs is in that, too. Um, Sarah Schoefs and her play um, incestuous uh, hillbilly sisters in that one, um, which is why. Is there any other kind of sisters? Yeah. Well, that was one of the things when we were looking to cast Kristen, um, you know, I was like, well, you guys just, you know, played a played, you know, incestuous sisters. So I know you're comfortable working together. So let's, you know, and I've, and I've worked with Sarah on a recent Allison where she played Allison. So it was, uh, you know, it was great to bring her in. Um, but yeah, Emily is, Emily's wonderful. Um, Anna Paulette, um, who plays uh, Catalonian Sibelia, um, yeah. she was actually a, a model in uh, Mexico. And uh, she was trying to get into acting. Um, and uh, she did a brief part in the third episode of Demon Hunter. And I had written, you know, and, and um, so... Bishop's Cove, we had tried to get it started in, I think, 2018 or 2019. 
and the, the we had people who were going to like put in like seventy thousand dollars, and they wanted so many changes that it wouldn't have even been the story anymore. So we're like, fuck it, we're dropping this completely. And so it wasn't until I met Anna that I decided, oh my god, she could be Catalonia. And it just kind of clicked with me when when she was just like in a really minor role in Demon Hunter, um, where I was like, oh, my God, she could be the perfect Catalonia and Sibelia. So um, I talked to her about it and she was game for it. And, you know, um, as I said, like everyone in this film is just so incredibly brave and, you know, and just so willing to just go to, like I said, their darkest, darkest places. Um, Nana Govea, um, who... Um, I had first met uh, during the Teresa and Allison auditions, and then I know she did Black Wake with Jeremiah. Yeah, and award-winning film down in Brazil. Yeah, yeah, and she and I had wanted to work together for the longest time, um, and so I kind of wrote the role for her of Marquesa. Uh, you know, because I just I and and I'll tell you, I mean, there's there's one scene in the film that obviously I can't say because it'll spoil things, but there's one scene in the film that was not in the original script. I wrote it because she was just nailing it so much playing that character and just the gravitas she brought to every scene that like there was one scene that was like, it was really simply written. It was a very not, you know, something happened, blah, blah, blah. But then after seeing her in the other scenes, I'm like, oh my God, I'm writing you all this dialogue for this scene now so that we can really get this performance out of you. And she just nailed it. And she was an amazing person to work with. I have, and as I said, I've already, you know, gone on about Chelsea. Uh, we had Kat D. Ross as the Joyless, um, who is the the demon. You know, Kat D. Ross is a, a model uh, and activist, and she's just an awesome... I also first met her in Teresa and Allison. Um, and she's just an amazing person to work with and a really strong, strong person. Um, then we had uh, we had two uh, professional uh, wrestlers um, playing uh, the, the Ceaseless, who is that kind of big, hulking you know, uh, you know, like, uh, a, a thing, uh, you know, like it was just, like I said, we just had, um, uh, said Wayne, Wayne J. Miller was, uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Mr. Lawrence. We had Kitty Estopowitz as, um, uh, D chief deputy McNulty. Uh, we had Eric Ensley as, uh, Sheriff Rawls. Um, we had, um, Tara Wilson as, um, I'm sorry, not Tara Wilson, uh, Tara Beavers as Deputy Wilson. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, which, by the way, yeah, I, I, I'll just say, I yes, I did name all the, the cops after characters in The Wire, just because I had been watching it at the time. <laughs> so it was, Why wouldn't you? You know, yeah. if, if, if it's me, I'm, I'm naming everybody after the characters I know from 24, all-time oh, favorite TV show. Oh, man, 24. I See, I love 24 up until it be. The, my favorite, favorite season is the season where it became Metal Gear Solid. Uh, <laughs> season five. <laughs> it did become Metal yes. Gear Solid. Yes, it 100% oh became my God. Metal Gear Solid that season. And, and then that fucker, uh, Kiefer, ended up voicing Snake. So, yes. Or yes. I, I guess technically Big Boss. But yeah, well, that was, that was yeah, that was a season where the cast of RoboCop were all the bad guys. And Fucking was, Peter Weller's. Yeah, yeah Peter Weller and and oh my God, what's his face from Twin Peaks? Oh my God, uh, but yeah, like it was just it was it was I I loved how ridiculous twenty four was. Twenty four man, was he just took that gun and put it yeah right in Peter Weller's wife's leg and yeah. pops her off. And it's yes. Like God damn it, Jack. 
Yes. Oh, and then, God, it, I have oh to my go God, and then, it, and then at the end of the season, where you find out the president is being controlled by this cabal, like, it's the fucking <laughs> Patriots. Holy shit! Directly the from Patriots, man. Listen, <laughs> yes. it became Metal Gear Solid, and yes. that's why I love the fact that you said yes. this. Listen, yes. that is the wildest shit that ever happened. <laughs> I, I actually never gave up on the show. Okay, mm-hmm. never gave up on it. I did kind of lose it when they stopped becoming one-hour episodes that make up an hour in the day. Yeah, I didn't but, even watch that season because I was like, "That you, you're killing the concept. Yeah, you're killing the concept. But when I saw Tony Todd mm-hmm. show up the, for the second time as a different character, mm-hmm. I said, God, they don't, they just don't give a fuck anymore. <laughs> like, first he was like this random-ass detective who might be like searching after Jack when he's like yeah. an outlaw or something. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he's uh, this African general who's training child soldiers and, yeah. uh, and Gaz from the full Monty stepped on a landmine and he can't move. And <laughs> God, man. Yeah. Yeah. 24 what a was fucking insane. Show. And what I love, it about was yeah. batshit crazy yeah. is what yeah. it was, Charles. It really was like, I, you know, like I'm, I'm glad somebody else brought it up because I've never been able to just express to people publicly that the show had just become Empire Solid at that point. <laughs> so I, I'd never heard yeah. from someone else other than myself say that 24 was Metal Gear Solid. Yes. And, you know, I, it didn't really at the end when the president's being controlled. Yes. Like I was waiting for a. a like like a a scroll a credit scroll and then this audio message at the end yeah exactly um, you know the president thank you mr president yeah dun, dun, exactly. dun. yeah i'm Fuck, like i'm like man. i'm like literally literally at this point they might as well bring in fucking revolver ocelot as just like a random character out to kill jack they basically did when they yeah. brought back tony almeida who was supposed yeah. to be dead as fuck <laughs> God, man. And then they dropped that fucking missile on William Devane in the middle of like Fenway Park or wherever the fuck it was, Dodger Stadium. And God damn it, man. Like it got more and more absurd, but at the same time, more and more fucking awesome. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, fucking Annie Wershing, the one who played, um, I believe it was Renee. Mm -hmm. I believe she recently just passed at like 45 years old, man. man. Yeah, I, I read yeah. That. It was awful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought, man, like it is ironic because I was just thinking about 24, like going back to binge it. Mm-hmm. And here she is. And I did not think that she was 45. I'm 40. Yeah. And I'm thinking she's only five years older than me. Yeah. That's really sad. Come on, man. You know, I mean, that and Julian Sands lost up in the fucking oh, mountains. Yeah, no, I, I, I really, you know, at this point, it's just getting sadder every day that they don't hear from him, you know, because it's, yeah, it's like, they've heard from his partner. They've heard from his hiking oh, partner. Yeah. Apparently, and like nothing from Julian. But, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll digress here. Like your film. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, you know, Bishop's Cove, it got made. Okay, yeah. so the initial funding campaign must have been a success. Yes. We've relaunched, mm-hmm. and we're trying to get some some post production. Yes. I guess VFX, VFX cleaned, uh, cleaned uh, up a little bit. Yeah, sound design, um, and uh, we have an amazing composer, uh, David Denyer, who um, is not on any of the ver- not in the version you heard. Um, where I, that was all just temporary music on that one, but um, sure. But yeah, but he's composing a full like hour and a half score for the film. And like, you know, it's uh, he's just in a, he, and it's like a or, it fully orchestrated and everything. It's it's going to be like like, you know, some of the stuff um, we put out a little a little like one minute sample of uh, 
what he did for the, what he's doing for us. And uh, it was just this haunting violin piece that like is just so, you know, like I said, like the emotions that he's able to uh, summon in the score that he's made, but you know, but that's part of post is being able to pay him, which, you know, we can because of where we are, where we're at currently, but we still need to be able to pay for other things, you know, and there's a uh, goal for a reason. Yeah, yeah exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And then even one of the things that we also, um, you know, uh, were looking for was a little money to help with festival submission because festivals are not cheap. Fest, you know, people, a lot of people don't realize that you have to pay for every festival submission you do. And then if uh, it doesn't, even if they don't pick you, you still have to pay them. You know, like it's, uh, it's kind of crazy. It's, you're paying for consideration. Yeah, exactly. How much money you end up spending on uh, festivals. Um, so we, we factored in a little bit of the, of the, the campaign just to be able to pay for uh, festival submissions and stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's super important for us to be able to do that because uh, if we don't make our goal, uh, it'll still come out, but it'll come out a lot later because we're going to have to, you know, be going out of pocket and going with, you know, um, still looking for like investors and, you know, hopefully not running into any scumbags. And, you know, we'd really like to also be able to start working on other projects too at the same time, you know. Uh, we have a lot of stuff that we'd like to be, you know, doing and getting this out there while working on other things. I have a, a another film I just started working on called Nowhere Fast, um, which is about a, uh, a, a an all female uh, punk band from New York City who uh, basically run into the apocalypse on the first day of their first tour, and it's uh, just a really very once again a really just wild and insane and fucked up story because that's kind of my thing. Um, but yeah, like Bishop's Cove. So um, if you want to contribute to our Indiegogo, um, once again, I said it before, but the uh, address is igg.me slash at slash Bishop's Cove post. Once again, igg.me slash at slash Bishop's Cove post. We have all sorts and of that's fun. That's going to be in the, uh, the I'm sorry to cut you off there, Charles. No this is no going to be in the episode description. So mm -hmm. don't, don't think you've got to memorize this. It will be in yeah. the episode description on YouTube, um, Spotify, Apple pods, Google pods, iHeart, everywhere. Look in the, uh, the, the description of this episode and find that Indiegogo campaign and help get this thing made. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And it's, um, you know, we have all sorts of cool perks. I mean, besides like DVDs and Blu-rays and posters and stuff like that, we have uh, signed scripts. We have, uh, you can play uh, Dead by Daylight with Chelsea or I, um, just because, you know, we thought like, well, it's a horror-related thing and I love playing. We're going to be doing it anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So let's, <laughs> let's, uh, let's have people come in there and do that. They have executive producer and associate producer credits. Um, we have just all sorts of different, you know, we have a, we have actually two of the practical effects from the joyless are for um are for uh executive producers we have the, the face she had on the back and we had the uh the like i think it was like five breasts like prosthetic um and also there's a character who gets shot in the head and we have the prosthetic for their uh the gunshot wound um so you know we have a whole bunch of cool stuff for people uh, if they want to uh, contribute, and uh, you know, as I said, it it really you'd be helping a you'd be helping a good cause. You'd be helping support Indie Hara, and you'd be helping you know to make a film that that you'll probably you'll probably well, I'm not going to say it's like a you know oh man, I can't wait to watch this over and over again. Couldn't feel good about myself because you're not going to feel good about yourself. You're going to feel you will. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? You're you're gonna get a movie that's going to fucking grab you by the fucking balls, and you're going to be like the fuck, man. 
Like until it's over, you know, I think one of the best things anyone said, um, one person we screened it for was like, I think I have to go watch a comedy now. So, cause he's good. Yeah. And I'm like, I love that. That's love the ultimate it. Testament. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and, that's how, you know, mm -hmm. and that's, that's the thing how you is, know. Yeah, is that that's, you know, that's, that was the movie we we're trying to make. And, uh, you know, we, we managed to make what we wanted and now we just have to get a little bit more so we can go and, uh, and get it out to people. And, and, I really want to be part of the 2023 festival circuit in the summer and the spring. I mean, summer and, um, and uh, fall so that we can show this as many places as possible and as many people as, as they can, can uh, come and, and view it and, uh, you know, get a chance before it goes to, you know, Blu-ray and streaming and all that sort of stuff. And like early 2024 is the goal, um, depending on obviously if we make the Indiegogo, you know? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And, and we hope that, uh, you know, any eyes that are on this podcast right now can reach out, help make this thing a reality. We want to see you in that festival circuit. And uh, if, if you make your way around the Nashville area, all you got to do is yell. I'll be I'll be there in a heartbeat. I'll, I'll definitely let you know. I'll definitely. Let Absolutely. You know. So before we slide into the gag reels, will you tell everybody where they can find you on your socials? Sure. I can be found uh, mostly on Instagram at uh, charles.d.lincoln. And you can also find uh, the uh, production company that Chelsea and I uh, do CL Squared Productions because it's Charles Lincoln and Chelsea Lesage. We're both CLs. And uh, uh, that's CL Squared Productions on uh, Instagram. And Bishop's Cove itself has its own uh, Instagram. Uh, Bishop's, uh, Bishop's underscore Cove. No apostrophe. Um, so, yeah, uh, you can check that out. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, feel free to add us. Feel free to check out the uh, campaign. And, uh, you know, as I said, we're very, we love being part of the, the horror community and, uh, you know, we hope people reach out and we hope people help out and we hope that, uh, we can, you know, contribute a little to the community yourself, you know, that is going to do it for this episode of slasher sports cinema. Go click those links, visit the episode description, find every one of them, go follow Charles D Lincoln, Chelsea Lesage, Bishop's Cove, and all those involved in the project. And most importantly, go forth and may you drink the blood of your enemies from the skulls of their children. All right.